0: Today we begin in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd please turn there with me. Mark chapter 8. Just two chapters back in Mark 6, verses 30 through 44, we read about Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 plus Israelites After one day in a desolate place. And in our passage today, Mark 8, 1 through 10, Jesus miraculously feeds 4,000 plus Gentiles. After three days, in an even more desolate place. Some have tried to argue that these two events are really the same event just repeated by Matthew and Mark. But this notion is simply untenable for several glaring reasons. The first feeding was in Jewish territory to 5,000 Jews. The second feeding was in Gentile territory with 4,000 Gentiles. The first feeding came after one full day of Jesus' teaching and ministering to them. But the second feeding came after three days of Jesus' teaching and ministering. The first feeding saw Jesus giving instructions to the people to sit down, and he ordered them by groups, different sizes. And it says they were ordered to sit down on the green grass. The second feeding, there was no green grass anywhere near. It was a super desolate place. Dry, more deserty. The first feeding began after one prayer of thanks. The second feeding included two prayers, one for each part of the meal. The first feeding started with five loaves and two fish. The second feeding started with seven loaves and a few small fish. The first feeding saw 12 baskets of leftovers collected the second feeding saw seven baskets of leftovers collected. After the second feeding, Jesus questions his disciples' lack of understanding by referring to what they should have remembered about the first feeding. I don't know why anybody even argues about this. It makes no sense there was two feedings. These two events were similar, in that both were in desolate places. There were huge crowds at both. Everyone there witnessed and took part in seeing, receiving, chewing, and swallowing the food that Jesus had created out of nothing. The people in both events were fully satisfied. And there was a whole lot of leftovers, broken pieces that were collected. Now, what we will see today in, in this feeding is that this, this story dramatically highlights who Jesus really is. His awesome power of creation is displayed in what is obviously a hands-on way to thousands of people, but far too many are still there just to see the show quote unquote even so the compassion of Jesus is also put on display alongside of his authority and power this is a incredible it's an incredible event and remember this is creation Jesus creates out of nothing There's also a constant disparity between who Jesus reveals himself to be and the blindness of the religious leaders, which is the paragraph after this, and then after that, the dullness or lack of understanding of Jesus' own disciples. I was going to try to get all three of these together in one. It didn't quite work, but this message and next week's message will be tied together. It's important to tie them together. We also see today in the second feeding event the unmistakable proclamation that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the bread of life who came to save Gentiles as well as Jews. That's you and me, and by no coincidence, but by God's ordaining power, what we just sang, and what we just heard about in Sunday school. A Gentile, in this thinking, is anyone who is not Jewish. That's the wideness of the meaning, the breadth of the meaning. As Jesus gets closer and closer to the cross, it's more and more evident that he is planting in his disciples' hearts The teaching and displays of his incarnate character, which the Holy Spirit will finally open their eyes to, his disciples, especially after Jesus' resurrection. But we see still now it's a process here. If you are able, would you please stand as I read Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes... They will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to His disciples to set before the people. And they set, before the, they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, He said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about four thousand people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and went to the district of Dalmanutha. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> so we need to ask the question of what did Jesus reveal about himself in the feeding of these four thousand? What is Self-revelation. Jesus is revealing who he is. So we could approach this by just saying, what did Jesus want his disciples and us to understand about him in this miracle? It's so familiar to us, this story, that sometimes we just brush right by it and don't bother to think about this question like we should. Well, there's at least three things that Jesus wants his disciples to learn, to get, that he knows they will need to understand. And the first is that he just wants them to understand that he's the bread of life. Who led the Hebrews out of their slavery in Egypt the Exodus? Well, it was Moses. And who had... Come, has now come to deliver his elect from the con- condemnation and power of sin, the enslavement to sin. It's Jesus. There's parallels here everywhere. Who gave the announcement that God was going to rain down bread from heaven to sustain the people that he had just delivered from Egypt? Well, Moses did. And what was that stuff? That manna. Exodus 16 verses 14 and 15 tells us that the people of, Exodus, of the Exodus found a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost, on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And they called it manna, which is... Literally, what is it? It means literally whatness, not wetness, whatness. And Moses said to them, "It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat." And in Exodus sixteen thirty one, we find out it tasted like wafers made with honey. This provision from God was their main food the whole time they were in the wilderness, which was how long? Forty years. It enabled them to survive in a region that was extremely harsh, where nothing would really grow. Now it's time to make clear another part of this picture. Right after the first feeding miracle for the 5,000 in Jewish territory, Jesus personally identified himself with this manna, the bread of heaven. In other words, the disciples and many others had already heard this. In John 6... Verses 48 through 51, we hear Jesus' explanation. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they still eventually died. This, indicating himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now this obviously got everybody's attention, but hardly anybody understood it. In fact, in verse 52 of John 6, that same chapter, some of the Jews actually thought that Jesus was talking about cannibalism. The Jews, we read, then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? God ties so much together in his word. And for instance, consider the bookends of his life. Where was he born? Bethlehem. What does the word Bethlehem mean? City of bread. And what did Jesus do on the last night of his life? He took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. So think how much of Jesus' purpose in coming to earth as the God-man is explained here. If his disciples could just get this, if we could just get it more, their understanding of what Jesus was doing and why would have grown exponentially, but it took a while for these men. How much of who Jesus was and what his mission was can be understood better by the many implications implications of Jesus being the bread of life. In both miraculous feeding events that we read about in the gospel here in Mark, the creation of enough bread to satisfy the hunger of how many? 5,000 people first and then 4,000 people. It points directly to Jesus' power of the omnipotence of God. And the metaphor of bread pictured Jesus' suffering, especially his sacrifice on the cross, which they didn't get yet, but is why he keeps bringing this up so that they will after it happens and after he rises when the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to it all. Well, what's... Another thing that Jesus is revealing about himself in this miracle. First, we just saw that he wants them to understand that he's the bread of life. But the next thing he wants them to get that should be obvious because of where he is and who he's feeding here is that he wants them to understand that he's not just bread for Jews. But he's also the bread for Gentiles. This doesn't mean much to us. But this drove some of the Jews absolutely nuts. They couldn't get past their self-importance as being God's chosen people. And Jesus goes over and over and over this, and we see it in Mark especially, because he wrote to mainly Romans, Gentiles, and he wanted them to see the bigger purposes of God. We should note again that the I came to save Gentile 2 message, which is what Jesus is doing here, was heard in a very dramatic fashion by his disciples at least three times already. When Jesus cast the host of demons... Out of the man and into the herd of 2,000 pigs, he was in Decapolis. This was a Gentile man. And also in the encounter with the Syrophoenician woman who begged him to heal her daughter, she was not a Jew. He was not in Jewish territory. And then at the end of chapter 7, when Jesus healed the deaf and mute man, he was also in the region of the Decapolis, east and southeast of the Sea of Galilee. And now, where is he? Jesus now has 4,000 plus Gentiles before him who have been there three days, and now they don't have anything to eat. We know these are mostly Gentiles because Jesus is still in that region of the Decapolis. We also recognize a few other clues in our text. Earlier in the feeding of the 5,000 Jews, the baskets used to collect the leftovers were different from the baskets used here in our passage today. What's the big deal? They couldn't get their baskets from Amazon and have the same brand. There's different baskets in different parts of the country. Two different words, two distinct different baskets, identified by where they were used and by whom. So what did this bread miracle mean among these 4,000-plus Gentiles? This meant something incredible, it meant that Jesus was spiritual bread for the non Jewish pagan world, for you and me, for Eastridge, for everywhere. Everywhere. And Jesus is getting across this vital information and the idea that the material bread. That we need to sustain ourselves in the physical and material world is not enough for human beings to truly live. That's the point. To be truly fulfilled and to know the meaning and purpose of being in this world. In other words, the material is not enough. It's a message that most people end up recognizing at some point in their lives, but also a message that brings rebellion and utter despair and pointless living, vain life. Is it not? If you were going to sum up the world we live in and what's wrong with it, would you say that? People define themselves by what they have and what they do. And they always want more. And they're miserable. They try to cover it up in various and sundry ways. They are not satisfied in their hearts. They do not know why they're here. Which is why at the end of life, so many souls are so wretched in despair and lostness. You know, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, right after he got baptized by John the Baptist, the devil tempted him there to meet his own physical desires. Remember? Turn this rock into... So it was a temptation to meet his own physical needs at the expense of the spiritual. And how did he respond? Man shall not live by bread alone. This has been his message the whole time since his ministry started. I think a a very good way to describe a life that's almost totally consumed with finding all meaning and purpose in the material and physical environment, a good description would be hollow. Empty because it's not going to last. So we jump from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other. And we've always got to have more of something to give us that little spark that we get excited about when something we finally get. And then what happens? We find out it's might be great, it helps, but it's still empty. It doesn't fulfill the desire in your heart that God made you to have, which is for him, not the stuff. We need the stuff. He knows that. He provides but that's not going to satisfy the heart of man. And why? Because looking for the answers to legitimate questions in all the wrong places ends up draining the life that that you've been given. It drains it right out of you. And we all know this when we sit down and think about it, but we don't want to do that because it depresses us. That kind of person has reduced life to the material and not much more. And that kind of focus will utterly and bitterly betray them. And as the years fly by, that person will become more and more aware of their own hollowness, their own emptiness. is it new. Every single person in this room knows that. It's observable in every area of life. And most people spend their whole lives trying to shield themselves from the truth of that, the need for God. And they try to fill it with other things. Now, Jesus is trying to get his men ready for when he lives. He's giving them teaching and instruction that he knows is vital and valuable. It's true. And these guys are having a hard time picking it up. And the interesting thing is that's what what's blinding them is actually their own religion. Which you can imagine how The word of God feels about that. Which is why he spends so much time, the next paragraph especially, as far as nearness, proximity to where we are in this book, he deals with the religious leadership all the time because they are leading people straight to hell, missing the point completely. So, as he demonstrates and does these miracles, what are the disciples supposed to be learning? What is the main thing they are supposed to know? I.e., what is the main thing you are supposed to know, I am supposed to know? Jesus is the bread of life and that there is no life apart from him. And our Lord is committed to showing us this as we go through it, life. We start off young and exuberant with dreams and goals and many are met and many are not. But through this whole process, he brings us to a point where we know there has to be something more. And it's him. And we go, yeah, well, I believe in him. The question is, do you really? Is he sufficient for you? He is the only one that can meet your greatest and innermost needs. He is the only one that can provide. When we finally recognize that we don't control this, We, we can't control it. We can manage it. We can be good stewards. We can work hard. We're called to excellence. All those things are true. But unless we learn how to run to him, call out to him, recognize he's with us, he's in us, that he is spiritual bread for us, we need him every day, every day, to know what our purpose is here on this earth. What else did Jesus reveal about himself in this miracle? First, that he's the bread of life. Second, that he's not just the bread of life for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And now, the third thing we see throughout this passage is that he wants his disciples to understand that his supply always meets and exceeds the demand. Now, we know how that message has been taken to left field and thrown over the fence. People play upon our, we interpret this like we can have anything we want. And so my desire, my heart's good, and what I desire in my heart, God will give me. That's not what he's saying. What we really need, he will always supply, and his supply always exceeds our demands. Whether we recognize it or not is the question. Look at verses 6 through 10 here in Mark chapter 8. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha, which is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know how you picture this, but we probably got to get that straight. This is not a picture of Jesus breaking one of the loaves, tearing it apart, and then there was huge piles of bread and fish everywhere. And then they went to the pile and kept doing it. It's not the picture. It's a picture of Jesus breaking the bread and keeping breaking it and passing out this way to his disciples who would go to the groups. Can you picture this? Everybody knew there was only seven loaves. How long do you think that took for 4,000 people? And then they did it with the fish. We need to learn what that means for us, because this is important. This is not a picture of Jesus breaking one of the loaves and then suddenly there were huge piles of bread and fish. Instead, he kept breaking it and handing out what's was needed bit by bit. So we need to be constantly, constantly bringing our needs to Jesus. And he will constantly break the bread and give us what we need spiritually. Honestly, we're not very good at that. We want it all beforehand. Yeah, we were raised that way. We live in a culture that thinks that way. This is how Jesus does it. Would his disciples need to understand this? After he died and was resurrected? So how would you describe how Jesus provided for the multitude, his provision for the multitude? Mark does it in one little short sentence. And they ate, and what? They were satisfied. How much was left over? I don't know whether God put these details in here just to wow us or to make us smile because there's there's some interesting little tidbits here. How much? Seven baskets full. So let's go back to the baskets. The baskets that, that the Jews had in the feeding of the 5,000 were like travel backpack baskets. They were little and they you put your food in a little wicker like baskets made out of reeds and stuff. And that's what you carry along to travel travel with. You had some stuff to eat, a little. How long did that first feeding, how many days had they been there? One day. Now here's this Gentile, all these Gentiles, and said they came from all over the place in this region. This is a huge, vast wasteland kind of region. And the word's different. Saying it's a large basket would be an understatement. The other way to define it is as a hamper. These were the kind of baskets that Saul, his name hadn't been changed to Paul yet, actually got in to escape from some Jews who were trying to kill him. And his friends got him in one of these larger baskets and lowered him over the wall of Damascus. Damascus is in Syria. Okay, This lets you know something about what the people in these different areas had. So they had more baskets available or had brought them somehow. And they had some food, but by the third day they were starving. Even a big one didn't have enough. That, there's some lessons in there too. Acts nine twenty three through 25, let me just read that. This is kind of fun. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, Saul, Paul. But their plot became known to Saul. <clears throat> These guys were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. This is that, not long after Saul was converted. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. That's the kind of baskets here. So these seven baskets are big. There's a lot of leftovers. What does that tell you about God's ability to provide what you need spiritually? For the 4,000 people, there were seven big baskets full of leftovers from the seven loaves and few small fish. For the earlier 5,000 people, there were 12 smaller baskets of leftovers. Don't miss the point. Christ is more than sufficient for the whole world. Not just me, not just you, not just us, for everyone. The 4,000 plus Gentiles in our passage today have been with Jesus for three days and when their power or ability to get food was exhausted, Christ's power to feed was not. That's the point. You know, if you ranked encouraging true stories in the Bible, I think this ranks right up there at the top and we've been seeing them one after another in Mark, which is on purpose, of course, because we need it. We need to know that, that our God is faithful and reliable, and when we don't see the results that we want right immediately, he is still on it. He will still fulfill his purpose. The issue is always, is my purpose lined up with his purpose? And many times it's not. Or He's so patient with us that we start out with this purpose, He has this purpose, and as we go through whatever, He gets us finally to His purpose. I think that's where most of us probably are most of the time. Our souls are meant to be hungry, and to be thirsty for Christ and His righteousness. That's how He made us. And this is just one more place in Scripture where the message is that you can never desire God and His Word more than His ability to supply for your need. How many times do I not believe that? I am so needy. Oh, God, God can't. He can't. He can't. So I'll go ahead and do this stupid thing, this sinful thing, because I don't think he can really touch my heart in that way and meet that need. Does that ring any bells with you? Jesus did these things so that we'd remember them. In fact, that's going to be the main point in the coming messages. If you look down at the end of Mark, when he talks to his disciples, his question is, don't you remember what I just did? You you guys just saw me feed 5,000 people. And now you're asking about bread and you're getting mixed up because I said Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. You guys, I mean, what would we have added? A whole lot of other things that wouldn't have been very nice. Jesus is so patient and loving with them. And that's how he is with us. He's bringing us to this point so that we'll get it. Our souls are meant to be hungry and thirsty for Christ and his righteousness you see what we do when we get what we want so much of the time? That's what that's what that's what makes us excited. Not that God gave it, but that we finally get what we want. We think. So we find out there's a lot of emptiness and hollowness there, frustration and whatever. And what do we learn? I'm mad at God because I didn't get what I got. And after hopefully not long, but sometimes years for some people, for all of us in some ways are fresh and we finally learn, you know, what I really need is you. You created me. You created everything that we see in this world. Why am I looking other places? I need my soul, my heart satisfied, and you're the one that does it. And he's given us these stories. They're true pictures of who he is and what he did so that we can remember these things. Do we? That's why we teach the word of God and not somebody's ideas about everything else in life. Because we need to rehearse these over and over and over again. You know that sin that you fell in this week? Do you realize that, in fact, Seth read it this morning at the elders' prayer meeting that Christ faced temptation, the same one in general, in idea, in in category. I mean, he didn't fail. And when God looks at me, what record do I have? His record of not failing. That satisfies my soul. That keeps me running back to him, not other places. So this is just one more place in Scripture where the message is that you can never desire God and his word more than his ability to supply your need. Someone said that none of us has ever eaten as much as he wants to give us. If you want a physical metaphor, apply it spiritually. We've never eaten as much as he wants to give us of himself. Jesus knows that his disciples have to learn this, and they have to learn it well. And we'll look next week at whether they they are seeing any progress after all the things that Jesus has done. Look ahead. You'll look at them, and you'll say, Oh, man, those guys, they're just like me. Except we live on this side of the resurrection, so he's opening our eyes to these truths. Let's pray. Oh Lord, again, we are faced with the omnipotence and power, and we see in our passage today the authority and the compassion of our Savior. Compassion and power, what a combination. God in human flesh, he knows us, he understands us, he came to save us, he accomplished his mission. Oh Lord, we run to you, to your throne of grace. Help us see that there is no other place to run. That we need your grace every day because our hearts still are prone to wandering. God, we look forward to the day when, when we are brought to you forever and ever. But we know that we can't just sit here, that you have a purpose and meaning for us here that is wonderful. It's wonderful because it revolves around who you are and you wanting us to know you and you using us to proclaim the gospel about who you are. And how you are the one, only one, who can give meaning and purpose to life. As you came to save us from our sin and the power and the enslavement therein. So to his name we give honor and glory. We pray that you'd open us up to your purposes more and more. Thank you for your patience. For your faithfulness to complete what you start. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for a benediction? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're dismissed.